Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. McConnell pushing again, gets underneath, finds Sabonis for the dunk and the foul. Karis LeVert, people don't realize how good he really is. LeVert, skies high for the jam. Brogdon for three. Boom, baby! (laughs) Duarte for three. Big time shot! Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human! What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What's going on, everybody? We are back. Our entrance and our return is not as emphatic as CM Punk's a few weeks ago, Fachi. I'm surprised we haven't brought up that CM Punk has returned to wrestling. Dude, I have been a wrestling fan my whole life, and that was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, pops I've heard in a long time really was reminiscent of the old Stone Cold Steve Austin days in, but that's just, you don't hear that anymore. I mean, that was 20 years ago, but CM Punk came back. Yeah, that was crazy, man. I won't lie. Cold of personality has been stuck in my head for probably two straight weeks now since hearing that it's just crazy, man. I mean, everybody's been talking about it and I know he hates the WWE. That's where he started really to get the most famous from. And he was great on there. Don't get me wrong. I thought he was fantastic. And, Came back to AEW, which I think at this point, AEW might just eventually take over WWE. Hey, they are creating a lot of buzz. I mean, I always was a known WWE guy. Former employee. Exactly. Yep. Used to work for them back in the day. Um, But I can honestly say AEW is putting out better wrestling right now, more entertaining stuff. Absolutely. Well, we're not here to talk wrestling. You can find us on our wrestling podcast hitting the mat in a couple of years when we run out of Pacers content. I'm just kidding. But we're here to talk today with Matt Moore about the Eastern Conference. We're going to do an Eastern Conference preview with him. But, Fachi, before we get into that, another update on Keelan Martin. This is like a relationship that you're just afraid to break up with the person and you keep, like, holding off on doing it. The Pacers have pushed back his date to October 19th via Scott Agnes of the FieldhouseFiles.com. Another month and a half with Keelan Martin. Just sitting there in the balance, not sure what's going to happen. Man, poor Keelan. It really does feel like we're we're out there looking for that next relationship, looking for something better. And Keelan's just kind of stuck there along the way, thinking, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. Am I playing for the Pacers this year? Can I at least play for someone? But the Pacers, whatever it is, I don't know how much money they're giving him You know, each time to convince him to move this back. Or the option is probably just, hey, it's either that or we let you go right now. I mean, you tell me. So whatever it is, they're exhausting all options possible to keep that last roster spot open and flexible. And uh, at this point, you know, that date, I don't see it being moved back any further. It's really as, as late as it could possibly be, just basically the day the season starts. Yeah, it's going to be a training camp battle. I'm just – I'm surprised. I'm surprised that the Pacers cannot find a team to unload Jeremy Lamb for them. I mean, they were able to move off T.J. Leaf last year. 
I don't understand why OKC won't just take Jeremy Lamb. They have so much money available in cap. They love picks. I'm not saying just salary dump them to salary dump them, but it makes a lot of sense, especially if you want to keep Keelan as maybe the 14th man. It'll open up more uh, more playing time in the rotation so you don't have to, like, play Lamb because he's I think he's the highest-paid bench player at this point. So, to me, mm-hmm. it just makes a lot of sense. I don't know what else is out there. I know they have Derek Favors on their roster. If you wanted to maybe upgrade Goga and, and Lamb for Derek Favors, I wonder if they would do that. I have no idea what OKC wants. But even just a, a minor move with OKC, maybe trading Jeremy Lamb there would make some sense to me. But I, I just don't know what's what's taken them so long to figure this out. I really don't know. I mean, you imagine they've been busy calling up every team. It, it seems hard to believe that there's no takers at all, but – I guess it really might just come down to having to see Lamb healthy on the court in order to be able to move him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's a bad locker room guy. I don't know at all. how much of a locker room presence he really is in terms of leadership-wise, but he's never been a problem here. You've never heard his name in the rumors of, of talking bad about the coach or anything like that. He's just kind of a quiet guy that sticks to himself. I like Jeremy Lamb. I think he's a good player. I just feel like the injury – ended up setting him back quite a bit. And right now I just feel like with the moves they've made in the offseason, bringing in Torrey Craig, drafting Chris Duarte, they got Justin Holiday. It's just, I don't see a spot in the rotation for him. And I don't feel like we should give him those minutes that he doesn't really deserve just to try to get him off the roster. It's not really fair to me, but at the end of the day, you got it's, it's a business. You got to make the right business decisions. And uh, I wish Jeremy Lamb nothing but the best. If he stays with the team the rest of the season, hope he has a bounce back year. I'll always be rooting for him. I mean, just a player that you really don't have anything bad to say. I feel like Jeremy Lamb's never had a bad headline now, really nothing that comes to mind where someone would really hold a grudge against him. So it just didn't work out over here. Hey, he suffered some injuries. It's very unfortunate. But I still like to think that, hey, if he can recover at his own pace, he could still be a contributor in the league for years to come. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about a couple former Pacers that have gotten a nice little tryout with the Dallas Mavericks, Pacer favorite Monte Ellis, <laughs> who is still on the contract or on, on the books, yep. his, his uh, contract that was waived. And then, of course, super fan favorite, born ready Lance Stevenson, got a opportunity to work out for the Dallas Mavericks. What are your thoughts on that, Fudge? I thought it was really interesting. Also, Isaiah Thomas was also in that workout. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's some three – Real solid names over but here. But not I, a former Pacer, Isaiah no, Thomas. No, 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 no. Not no, not a, a <laughs> former Pacer here. But this is uh, one where I'm, we're all rooting for Lance. Even if he's not going to be a Pacer, you want to see him back in the league. Monte Ellis, I have a sour taste in my mouth. We've still been paying him $2.5 million for the last few years. If only he could come back and then some of that money could, you know, could be credited back to us. Then the Pacers would be in a bit of a better situation. But yeah. that's not the case. So, you know what? Look, I'm going to be honest. I think Monte Ellis is washed at this point. I think Lance Stevenson can still play in this league. Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. It's funny because if you think about it, had Monte Ellis's contract not been waived, I don't think the paces are that close to the tax. And no. they probably don't feel like they have to make a move. I mean, that's exactly. two and a half million dollars. It's, it's a bigger deal than people make it out to be. But what I will say with Lance Stevenson, one thing that really kind of gets on my nerves a little bit on, on Pacers Twitter is the fact that people say he's not good at basketball. Like, that to me is a very bad take. I mean, I get it. He's not a perfect fit. He has flaws to his game. Let's be honest. He sure does. 
His antics are a little bit over the top, but he's a good basketball player. I can tell you that Pacers team that got swept uh, against the Cavaliers, they had to basically win Close out. The sweep of all time. Right. They had to they had to win out the last six games. Then bring Lance Stevenson in. The energy changed around that team. Absolutely. He was doing fantastic things on the court. Yeah, he had that layup that caused the P.J. Tucker to Martin Rosen. And I loved every second of it. Epic photo with him in his face. Yeah, I mean, but Bankers Life Fieldhouse, I went to that game when Lance came back. The return was hype, man. I mean, fans love this guy. It was because, rocking. Because he is not afraid of the big moment. I get it. Does he need to be in the big moment? No. I mean, there was the Cavaliers series where he was – I believe the the playing small ball four at some points, trying to guard Kevin Love. He couldn't do it. We know that. I mean, he had issues. He can't stop LeBron. He's not a LeBron stopper. He's not, you know, some whisperer like he blew in his ear. We know all that. The antics are a little bit annoying sometimes, but Lance is a fun player to watch. He has a good basketball IQ. He's hungry. He's dedicated. Been living here in Indianapolis. So if you don't think Lance belongs in the Pacers, I'm not going to argue with you on that. There's not really a spot for him to be on the Pacers. But what I will say is if you think he's bad at basketball, that that's a bad take. Absolutely horrible take because Lance <laughs> is a really good one-on-one player. Like he has great, you know, street ball tendencies. You know, he was New York's all-time leading scorer. I mean, that, that says something. There's a lot of great players coming out of New York. But I also just feel like, Lance is one of those where, like you mentioned, the antics overshadow his overall play. I think that he's learned a lot. I mean, he was on Chris Haynes' podcast, I want to say about a month or two ago, really talking about it. he's done a lot of growing up, and he wants to be a veteran that can help out others. He knows that – he knows what he did wrong. He knows those antics that, that causes distractions really were the difference between being in the league and not being in the league. And I think at this point, he's someone that can definitely contribute to the Dallas Mavericks I think that when you're looking at the other situation, Monte Ellis being out of basketball the last few years, Isaiah Thomas having hip surgery, a very significant injury. Then there's Lance, who he's healthy. I mean, he just he just hasn't had the opportunity to play in a while. So I think that he would make the most sense. And he's just someone that we're going to root for to be back in the NBA no matter who it's with. All right, Fachi, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have Matt Moore from the Action Network to do a little Eastern Conference preview for us. We'll be right back after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody, we are back. And joining us now on the line is Matt Moore. He's an NBA writer for Action Network. Matt, how's it going, man? Going well, man. Enjoying the offseason, enjoying some downtime. They're already working on preseason stuff, getting set for uh, NBA season, which is Basically starts in about three weeks. Yeah, I know it's it's been a very busy offseason and it's been very quick because the draft was in July. Everything got it got pushed back. Summer league happened right after. Very weird time, but we're gonna sit here and we're gonna ask you 10 questions about the Eastern Conference just to kind of get a good feel of what you thought of what happened. So first and foremost, I'm gonna start with a team that overachieved last year. That was the New York Knicks. 
They finished fourth in the Eastern Conference, but they fell in five games to the Atlanta Hawks in round one. This offseason, they added Evan Fournier and Kimbo Walker, brought back a lot of their guys from last season that had success, but I'm not sure where this team is going for next season. So I'm curious, are the Knicks good enough to finish in the top half of the East again? I mean, I think you have to look at the East and say they got better, and I think that makes the challenge higher. Uh, I was I liked the Knicks after I saw them early in the season. Like, you could tell there was just a different vibe about them, and they were playing, you know, really well. It's not surprising. Tom Thibodeau gives a lot out of his teams in the regular season, which is often why they struggle in the postseason. I think the biggest thing with this team is that you have to expect a little bit of regression based off of there's just so many red flags with their metrics. The Their opponents had, like, the fourth – lowest free throw percentage which obviously there's no real impact that teams have on that uh three point percentage which was the one that everyone expected to regress as the season went on never really did but those numbers typically don't carry over into the next season there's likely to be some regression defensively even if the offense i think improves they showed some really good things late in the season i like the addition of Kemba walker i'm not ready to write him off and say he's washed and done yet uh, I think they overpaid for Evan Fournier, but if you look at what they needed in terms of replacing Reggie Bullock and adding another on-ball scorer, it makes sense, even if it was an overpay. I don't necessarily think that Julius Randle was a flash-in-the-pan one-year kind of situation, but I don't also don't expect him to be as good next season. So you have these kind of two conflicting forces where simple regression from everything that went right for them last season should push them down. But added talent and a little bit of internal development from guys like R.J. Barrett and potentially Obi Toppin will push them up. So I kind of think that they'll wind up in the same range. The problem, I think, is that I expect the Hawks to be better. I expect the Heat to be better. I think you're going to see the Celtics improve. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the Knicks be about as good as they were last year, but not finish as high either in record or in seedings. But I still think they'll be pretty good, which honestly for this Knicks team, that's a good bar to set. Just be pretty good for a while and you can worry about a championship later. You know, one team that you didn't mention, which it feels like they only have one where, you know, one place to go, and that feels like down in the rankings is the Philadelphia 76ers. Right now, they find themselves pressed into a tough decision to either move Ben Simmons, who reportedly does not want to be there, or risk having a major distraction going into the season. Is Philly prepared to call Simmons bluff, or do you see them, you know, perhaps just working things out and going into the season with Ben Simmons on the court? As we sit here, as we record this on Thursday, September 2nd uh, at 5.37 Eastern, I can't see a scenario where Simmons is traded for what the Sixers are trying to get, which is a Dame-level addition, but nor do I see them taking something necessarily bad. If, if push comes to shove, they may simply add a number of good veteran starter pieces, and that will honestly help. If you add a good starting point guard that can just run, pick, and roll and shoot a little bit off the dribble next to Joel Embiid, given how he's played, you're still going to be a 50-plus win team in the Eastern Conference. The concern I have is, like, look, we last time we saw Joel Embiid, he had a torn meniscus, didn't get surgery. There's been – he's – supposedly in the gym there's been no report that there's a problem there but he's always going to be injury prone and part of what held them up they actually won 51 percent of their games over the last three seasons when Embiid was out a large part of that was Ben Simmons and so if you do not get a comparable talent back 
that can impact on both ends of the floor the way that Simmons did, regardless of his limitations in shooting, I think you have to expect a little bit of a fallback. I don't know if that's enough to knock them out of the top three in the East. I don't know if that's enough to say that they're not a title contender, but it's hard to feel good. Maybe an absolute dynamite offer comes along. I do keep looking at the idea of what happens if Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, because they have had talks with the Raptors. I reported on that over the summer. Uh, that if that were to happen, I can see the Sixers kind of you know getting back to a high, high level and looking dominant. But so much of this depends on Joel Embiid, who is inherently not a player you can depend on due to the number of injuries he sustained throughout his career. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, with Embiid's health, it's it's just a big question mark. We saw Embiid was having an MVP-like season last year, but injuries have always piled up. I want to shift over to a team that was part of the playing tournament, and that's the Charlotte Hornets. Ricky of the year, LaMelo Ball, one of the most exciting young players in the league. How big of a jump will he have to take to make Charlotte more than a play-in game team? I think just natural progression for him should be good. If he doesn't have a sophomore slump, I think you can expect pretty good things because when he was playing, when they had Hayward and LaMelo, you know, they they rose up and were competing there for the, about the fifth seed. They were seriously pretty good. Um, some of the moves they made in the offseason, I think, are a little confusing just based off of some of the guys. Like, I think losing Cody Zeller, as much as that's a guy nobody really thinks about, his numbers in terms of actually being able to switch defensively were great. That doesn't make any sense when you watch him, but when you actually like dig into the tape, you're like, oh, actually, he's pretty good in this area. Um, you have to, I think, expect for a little bit of pullback from some of their guys, like Terry Rozier, who just shot the lights out last season. Not a big fan of the book night edition out of the draft, but I do like Kai Jones. I think he'll help. Miles Bridges, I think, is, is pretty good. Wes Awundu is a, a pretty underrated defender. I still like P.J. Washington, but they did lose, you know, they lost, lost Devontae Graham, so you've got another kind of creator that they're missing. Added Mason Plumley, who's a good addition, but comes with a lot of up-and-down moments. Overall, I think this team's probably still in that range. I think they're probably, like, you're looking to go from ninth or 10th into that 7th, 8th spot, but I think expecting them to be a top six seed in the East is a lot to ask for, especially with Hayward's injury history, even if I think LaMelo Ball, I think there's a slight chance LaMelo winds up leading the league in assists this season. I think there's a good chance that LaMelo makes a real leap in terms of his statistical production, but I don't expect it to transfer to wins given where the roster is at right now. And another team that is trying to get into at least the playing game that made you know, quite a splash this offseason, the Chicago Bulls. I think they had one of the better offseasons, at least in the Eastern Conference. After being out of the playoffs the last few years, they added DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Derek Jones Jr. And then that's also following the blockbuster Vucevic trade. Where do you see the Bulls stacking up in the East this year? You have to basically decide when you're going into the season, are you super high on the Bulls or are you super low? Alex and, and I are torn on them. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of – I've gotten this pushback. People have said, well, no, like I think everybody kind of expects them to be in the play-in range. And I was like, I don't necessarily. I think there's a chance they wind up crashing the top, whether it's fifth seed or fourth. I think there's a possibility if one of the teams suffers either injury issues or just things don't work, whether it's Miami or you know Milwaukee after the exhaustion, whatever it is, I wouldn't – I would be shocked if Milwaukee fell into the play-in. But I'm just saying that there's always a team that falls from the top and there's a team that kind of jumps up. I like a lot of what the Bulls have done. Um They've got Lonzo Ball is a guy that I've criticized a lot, but he's a reliable spot up shooter now. And so the, what you don't have with him is on ball creation, which is why it's great to put him next to Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan was one of the best passing 
players in the league on ball. He was absolutely incredible last season running pick and roll. He was the second most efficient player in the league, including passes behind Kawhi Leonard with like a minimum of 150 attempts. He was insane in the pick and roll. You have Vucevic, who's really reliable, and you look at all this roster, and Patrick Williams looked like an absolute beast in summer league. So you look at this and you say, okay, but how about the defense? My gamble basically here is that Billy Donovan has shown a real, real capacity for raising the floor of a team defensively with scheme. They're going to play a drop coverage, which is what most of the people, what most of the teams run in the NBA throughout the regular season. But, you know, teams got teams with Nikola Vucevic to actually defend pretty well. You can do it as long as your guys buy in. I think Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso both help with that. Are they going to be a top 10 defense? Probably not. But if they get into top 15, I think the offense will be good enough for them to be a, a serious pain in the Eastern Conference, even if I think that they're badly built for a playoff run. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I, I would say that I'm a torn on them because I just don't know how they're going to look. It's You're throwing a lot of new people together. I think the chemistry might take a little bit of time, which could impact them, but you never know. I mean, they could get off to a hot start, have a good training camp, and really mesh. It's just I think there's question marks there, but I think it's also exciting to see what they've done with the roster. I think it's definitely improved, but a team that I am so confused with is the Toronto Raptors, and they've got really good players. I mean, they're super athletic, and, and they've got championship uh, level players on their roster with Siakam and Van Vliet and OG and Anobi, all of experienced deep playoff runs. But with the loss of Kyle Lowry, how high is the ceiling for this semi new look Raptors team? No one knows what the Raptors are doing. You ask around the league, and everyone's like, this gets brought up to me. Is they're like, do you have any idea what the Raptors are doing? Because we don't. Like, no one seems to have any idea whether they're coming or going or tanking or thriving or competing for a championship or trying to make the playoffs or whatever. There's no real signal given what they've done. They lost Norman Powell to the Blazers in a trade last year. They lose Kyle Lowry, don't wind up getting anything for him. Goran Dragic is there, pretty clearly doesn't want to be there and will probably not be there by the end of the season. I'll tell you this, I wouldn't be surprised if there were more trades early in the year by the Raptors as they tr try and reconfigure. If you listen to the postseason comments and offseason comments from the front office, Masai Ujiri when he resigned, it's very clear they're like, yeah, no, we still think we have good players and we can still win games, but we're looking for how to get back to a championship. It's very rare that you do that by keeping your guys that are supporting role players and then reconfiguring. The other thing I think is you mentioned like this, the championship level of this team. Look, it was a great story in 2019. Amazing story. Feel good story. Really awesome. Fun team. Went on a great run. You know, glad that they got the championship. However, if Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson don't get hurt, they probably don't win the title. And then we don't look at Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet the same way. Now, those guys are really good. Fred VanVleet in particular, I think, is underrated and would be uh -huh. a, a really big boost. But it wouldn't shock me to see this team reconfigure as the team goes on. I don't believe this will be the roster at the end of the year that it is now. But trying to project whether they get worse in a tanking effort and pick up assets for the future or whether they you know, make a move for Ben Simmons and then reconfigure around him – the crystal ball, I think, is just too cloudy. There's no real way to get a sense of what the Raptors are going to be. You know they'll be well-coached. You know they'll have good talent in, like, the top three, but there's a pretty big drop-off after that. The bench was really underwhelming last year. I think trying to predict what the Raptors are going to be is a real fool's errand. You know, one I always love to hear what people think outside of the Pacers fan base. So very curious that, uh, you know, they're a team that right now no one outside of the fan base is talking about. 
is this the rare situation where adding a future Hall of Fame coach like Rick Carlisle and essentially running it back is enough to get this team back on course where they were a few years ago? Or is it still looked at as like, hey, there's no guarantee that they're even going to be in the playing game? I still look at them and I think I think this team underperformed last year due to a combination of injuries, the schedule. Like it's hard to take last year and really overreact beyond like, yeah, Nate Bjorkman was probably not the guy. Like that's that's a fair assessment. And you are getting <laughs> yes, a huge upgrade. Very fair. Yeah, you are getting a huge upgrade in Carlisle. But like I just look at this and I go, is Malcolm Brogdon a really good player? Yes. Is Demonis Sabonis a really good player? Obviously. Is Miles Turner a really good player? Yes. And I think he's extremely underrated both across the league and, and in media circles. I just don't think people understand how good he is and how valuable he is. TJ Warren should get back on track, especially not having the kind of in, of coaching uh, problems that he had last year. This might get a little tough for some of the point guards. Rick Carlisle notoriously gets a li- has trouble with point guards. They just always seem to clash. He's very hard on them. Now, uh, Brogdon, I think, is such a high-level, high-IQ player. Maybe that meshes perfectly and there's no issues. But I am a little – I am keeping a little bit of a side-eye on that. I think Karis LeVert, you know, obviously last year, no no blame on him for, for not really – for being all over the place given what he went through. You look at the core of this roster, there's just like a lot of talent there. They built a lot of talent. I kind of think this team is going to be sneaky – the play-in, I think, complicates things because I think they are vulnerable in those kind of situations. But, like, I don't expect them to finish outside of the top eight. I think this team is going to be a top eight team. It depends on, you know, are the Bulls as good as possible? If the Bulls aren't as good as I think they are, then I think the Pacers are probably in that conversation. Um, if the Hawks are not as good as I think they are, I think the, the Pacers are in the top six conversation. I think there's – I don't see any way that this team misses out on the postseason entirely – it's just a matter of they may wind up in the play-in, and that's a one-game environment, and their things always get dicey. But that's dependent on whether or not they decide of what they do, because there's been all the the continuing noise forever about them breaking up Sabonis and Turner, and that trade. Obviously, I have to see what they would get back if they were to move Turner in order to know how this would work out. Yeah, it's the question we've been asking, you know, ourselves for the past three seasons, and we're still not sure what's going to happen. I mean. There's been speculation that maybe, you know, Goga Batadze is out of the rotation starting the beginning of the year. They stagger those minutes. But we're, we're just kind of excited to see how Carlisle, you know, puts his fingerprints on this roster and how he can maximize his talent because that's one thing we know that Rick Carlisle is really good at. One thing I am confused, though, with is what the Boston Celtics are doing. I know Brad Stevens took over for Danny Ainge. He brought back some familiar faces, Enos Cantor, Al Horford. They obviously brought in Dennis Schroeder as well, signed extensions to Marcus Smart, Robert Williams. I don't think this team is a bad team at all, but I definitely think from what I've heard from other media outlets that people act like this team has a chance to be a top four, top five team. I'm curious with Brad Stevens not being on the sideline and Ime Udoka coming in and with the roster moves they made, how much better is this team? I think a lot of it is, is pretty simple in that last year was such a year from hell for them. I mean, just even relative to the, like everyone had a year from hell. The Celtics really had a year from hell. Uh, the, the final four teams for the bubble all struggled. None of them made it out of uh, the second round and only the Nuggets made the second round. The Celtics had a pretty bad COVID outbreak with Jason Tatum actually getting COVID and saying for months later, he was still dealing with fatigue. He's looked great. Looks like he's recovered. Looks awesome in all the muscle watch videos. Uh, Tatum is a lot of this, is that Tatum really does profile as a guy that's ready to make the leap. And sometimes 
those guys disappoint, but a lot of times you can see this coming when everybody's like, you know, who's on the cusp of making the leap is like this guy. And then they makes the leap because these things are predictable from a certain sense of where they're at in their careers. And I think Tatum is definitely at that spot. You look at Jalen Brown, how good he was last year. That's a really good top two combo. I think Kemba Walker not being available, which is kind of a dead spot for them. They really did have problems in the front court. I thought Tristan Thompson was going to be a good answer for them. And he just wasn't It was a terrible fit played awful. Horford will be comfortable there. Horford is still a guy that will raise everybody up and make them better. Even if he's not the Horford from two, three years ago, that's still an improvement. Robert Williams, I think has really showed improvement and is ready to be like a serious NBA starting caliber center with what he brings as both a dive man on the pick and roll and as a rim protector. Uh, the bench unit is basically they're banking on internal improvement. You got, you've got Richardson and Schroeder there is kind of like, okay, if we need a veteran, we got these guys, but they're banking a lot on Neesmith, who I think is going to be an absolute lights out shooter. Um, and Peyton Pritchard. And to a lesser degree, you've got some of the other guys like, you know, Carson Edwards and Romeo Langford, those kind of guys that they're still taking shots on. Udoka, I have a lot of confidence in having covered the Spurs teams that he was, uh, instrumental on. He was such a big part of it. He's learned a lot from his stops. He's been a part of very successful staffs. I think the Celtics will be better. I don't know that they're going to be a top four seed. Like I can't look at them and be like, yeah, they should finish ahead of Miami. Uh, that probably shouldn't happen. I also can't look at them and think that they should finish above the Hawks, given how well the Hawks play in the playoffs and what they're carrying forward. I still think the Celtics are going to be in that five, six, seven, possibly playing. Again, we're in this range where I think the Eastern Conference as a whole has a high level of parity with the playoff teams having a pretty high floor, but a, but also a relatively low ceiling. I don't see any of these teams jumping to Milwaukee, Brooklyn level, but I see a lot of them rotating into that between 49 and 43 wins. And if that's the case, I think it makes the bottom of the conference worse, but it also makes those playoff spots really competitive and they, it may be decided by a game, a game and a half. Couldn't agree more in terms of the tight race in the East. I do think, you know, a one game difference could easily be the difference between fifth and eighth. You know, that I think that's how tight it's going to be this year. But, you know, in sports, I mean, I'd say in anywhere else, age is just a number. But in sports, it's really everything. And Chris Duarte was one of those guys that scared me in the beginning, knowing that he was 24 years old. In the list of guys around that age, you know, your Jimmer Fredettes, your Tyler Hansboroughs, it hasn't really worked out. But Duarte feels a bit different. What has been your early perception on Chris Duarte? Because he was pretty coveted by a few teams, but now he's backing it up. Yeah, his draft story was really interesting because the Warriors were really high on mm -hmm. him. There was a lot of talk that the Golden State was going to take him quite a bit higher in the draft. So the fact that, you know, he kind of cooled off there as other guys, like it went from Chris Duarte was like the guy that everybody was getting was hot to trot for. And then, the last week of the draft, Josh Giddy became the guy that everybody was like, oh, we got to get Giddy." So he was kind of the victim of that. I thought, you know, I think he played well. I like what he's going to bring to the Pacers. I'm always a little hesitant. Look, I've seen, you know, everyone talks about the age thing when they're not comparable players at all. But when the Bulls drafted Taj Gibson, Bulls fans lost their minds. Like they lost their minds over drafting a 24-year-old. And Gibson wound up being the exact guy you loved having on your team because, you know, he brought in a toughness 
and this is a lot of it is like the, the guys that are older have more experience or are more composed and are less mistake prone. And when you have, you make less mistakes that I think helps you get back on track from missing a couple of years in the league. Cause those early years, you're usually making a lot of mistakes as teams pick on you. So that's maybe the upside is, is if you can, if you can hope that Duarte is maybe a, a, a lower mistake player that fits into his role, I think there's a lot that he can still bring to the table. Can you explain to me what in the heck the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing I, I am just blown away by by what's going on, but Kevin Love, Jared Allen, and Laurie Markkinen make more money than Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, Karis LeVert, and TJ Warren combined. Uh, trading away Larry Nance Jr., I mean, I get it. He wasn't necessarily part of their long-term future. Laurie Markkinen, that's a lot of money to give a guy that really hasn't proven it. Kevin Love doesn't want to be bought out. And then if you look at the center market, it's, I mean, Jared Allen for $20 million a year is not a bad contract. I'm not saying that, but it looks like that center market, it's not that high usually in terms of value for those centers. So can you explain to me what is going on there? I like the young core, but the rest of this roster, the makeup of it is just kind of confusing. So I think, one, just take Kevin Love and put him to the side and just be like, that's dead cap. Like, that's just, it just is, right? Like, mm. he doesn't necessarily want to be there. There's no reason for him, for him to be there. They don't really want him to be there. But the money is what the money is, and the team is not willing to buy out the the entire remainder, and Love's not willing to take less. Like it's a financial decision, and so like that's just dead cap. Okay, he may he may play, it doesn't really matter. Um, so then you get into Evan Mobley, Laurie Markin, and Jared Allen. I am too am confused, and I don't think that this is a good setup. Here's I will say this: like if you're hedging bets, which you can do as a Cavalier, since they're not expected to be good. And probably won't be good. One combination of those three players will probably work. Whether it's Mobley's versatility next to Jared Allen's athleticism, Markinen's shooting and range next to Jared Allen's uh, athleticism, or Mobley's versatility and defensive prowess next to Markinen's shooting and floor spacing. One of those combinations should work. And if Whichever one doesn't, then you're probably looking to trade them one to two years down the line. So if they take the next two seasons and they find, you know what, our Jared Allen, Evan Mobley minutes have been absolutely tremendous. Like they're, we're beating teams by four points per 100 possessions or whatever. And when we put Laurie Markkinen next to either of these two, they fall off a cliff. Okay. You've just given Markkinen a big sum of money, but not like an absurd sum of money. So you can probably, by the time that you've assessed that, you've got two years left. Hopefully he's still got the numbers to back it up and you find a target and you trade out of it. If it's marketing and Mobley, then you're like, okay, we've got Jared Allen, high level rim protector, playoff teams always need these guys. That's where it goes. Their big problem, honestly, is Colin Sexton, who they don't want to commit max money to and shopped aggressively over the last six months, but could not find anyone to take them. The New York Knicks were like, no, nah, we'd rather get Kemba Walker. Like, that's where we're at, is we'll take Kemba Walker over Colin Sexton. That's a concern. So they have this guy who's too good not to play, but they don't want to commit to long-term. And if you do not have a lead ball handler, if you are not the Denver Nuggets or Philadelphia 76ers and your lead ball handler is not a guy you want to commit to, you have a massive problem in team building. So I like Garland. I actually like Sexton quite a bit. And I like Isaac Okoro. I think he's going to be, be pretty good this year. There's guys on this roster I think are actually going to be pretty decent. 
but they're missing the combination that's going to stir the drink. And they're going to have to figure that out. And I think the plan is probably tank this year and find that guy in the draft and then go forward with a pretty young core that's locked in next to whoever they pick up as soon as they figure out what to do with Colin Sexton. Definitely an exciting young core over there. You know, just like you mentioned, it's not going to be anytime soon. And Colin Sexton, man, he can hoop, but it just feels like they've made it so well known. They want to move him. I can't imagine them bringing in, you know, equal enough value, but Hey, We'll see. But you mentioned that's a young team moving over to an older team, a team that's actually has me a bit scared that they're gearing up to win the East again, or at least be in that competitive area again. The Miami Heat, they brought in Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, Victor Oladipo. They'll be able to ease in slowly. But this is a Miami team that is scaring me a bit defensively. I think that they are, you know, all in. Does it feel like they have enough to be able to compete with the Brooklyn's and Milwaukee's? Or of this is this more of like a fourth seed at best. I'm not as high on this team. I don't think it's tough because this is where the hyper analysis, I think can, can be problematic. And I'm trying to evaluate that currently is, all right, am I getting too in the weeds here or do I need to simplify things and just be like, you know what? They got Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler and that's a pretty good team. Like they're going to be pretty good no matter what. Cause I got Lowry and Butler, but Butler's getting up there in years and guys that have played for Tom Thibodeau for a long stretch of their careers, like Butler has. And the minutes that you play in those situations, the drop-off is often abrupt and significant. So that's a concern. I think you've got to look at Lowry and look at like, look, he wasn't the same guy last year. Still good. Still Kyle Lowry, but there are some signs around the edges. If you really pay attention where you're like, not quite as good as he used to be a little bit of drop-off matters a lot in this, you know, combination Victor Oladipo, I don't know what to expect from him. Just how can you know what to expect from him? We don't know when we're going to see him or what he's going to look like. Teams certainly, I think, started to figure out last year that, oh, hey, we can pick on Duncan Robinson a little bit. And then you got Bam Adebayo, who, you know, he struggled with inconsistency in the regular season and then really looked like he had the yips in the playoffs. That was a rough scene with Heat fans pretty critical of him. And then, honestly, in the Olympic play, he didn't look all that great. So, like, I have some concerns about what's going on with Bam Adebayo and that combination. I think the more time that you spend listening to Jimmy Butler constantly tell you how hard he works, I think the, the more that there are chemistry issues, the longer that goes. Um, don't love adding Markeith Morris. That's never a guy that I feel great about um, adding to a roster and, and needing to, for him to play some minutes. Tyler Hero's value seems to have dipped quite a bit. Great coaching with Eric Spolstra. They do have this high level. I can't say they're not going to be a playoff team, I just, there's something about this team where I'm just like, I want to see it. I'm willing to be wrong here, but I have a little bit more skepticism, I think, than some of the hype that's surrounding this team going in. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that because when they first got um, Kyle Lowry, I thought, okay, that's a, that's a good move, but still he's 35 years old. PJ Tucker is 36. We saw him score zero points in an NBA finals game. There are some question marks with that Miami team. I, I still think that they're probably going to finish in the top half, I would guess, and prediction-wise, for the Eastern Conference, just because I like Spolscher. I think he's going to do a good job with that roster. But I'm curious, let's talk about some teams that you think are overrated and underrated in the Eastern Conference. I know you've hinted at that when you talked about some of these teams individually, but maybe give me one or two teams you think are maybe a little bit slept on and maybe one or two teams that you think are a little bit too hyped. Ooh. I mean, it's, the, it's preseason, so everyone's too hyped, right? Like, everything is going to be <laughs> awesome now. Everything is going to be wonderful uh, now. I'm not very high on the Wizards. I, I think you look at this roster, it's just a bunch of guys. 
Like Beal was really great next to Wall. Those teams were, I think, sneaky good. They really seriously should have beaten the Hawks in 2015. And they would have gone to the Western Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, who knows what happens from there. But Beal is the main guy. It's basically just been, yeah, he scores a lot of points and nobody plays defense and they win half their games. Like, I'm just not overly impressed with that. And adding, I like the role players that they have individually, but having that as like a, a surrounding core, I'm not necessarily sold on. I really like the young guys. I like Denny and I like Rui Achimura a lot. And I, again, I think that the, the players that they added in the trade were good players, but I don't love the way this combination does, especially matching up night to night with how much better the Eastern Conference got. So I'm a little bit more down uh, on the Wizards. I think the most, I can't be any more down on the Magic. I have them currently at 13 wins. Ooh. Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah. We like, just predicted them recently as to finish in the end. Last in uh in the east, but we had them more like you know maybe like twenty. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a number yet. I just said under twenty three and a half wins for sure. It was gross, regardless. I think they'll be on pace for twenty until halfway through the year, and then they're going to put on a tank job that's just going to put that's going to put just awe all of us. Like, oh no, R.J. Hampton's not available. Like, you're in trouble when R.J. Hampton is like, we got to hold this guy out kind of situation. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Gary Harris get moved. Like, it it could be rough. Um. Teams in the East, I think they could be better. Hmm. <sighs> Talked about so many of them. Um, the Bulls are the team I think I'm, I'm highest on in terms of making a leap. Okay. Uh, and then I'll say this. like I wouldn't be shocked if the Pistons were a little bit better than I expect just because they gave their young guys so many minutes last year to get better. I think Kate Cunningham is a real floor raiser. I don't think he wins rookie of the year, but I think he's a guy that will impact winning more than some others. And like Jeremy Grant did have a really good season. So like, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, the Pistons finished, I don't know, like fourth worst instead of bottom of the conference. Um, the only, honestly, a lot of it for me, I think is I'm higher on the players than I am the teams in the Eastern conference, because I think it's going to be so competitive because of how good the players are. I think Jason Tatum is going to be a serious MVP candidate. Mm. Um, even if like that, if I'm, if I'm right about that, then the Celtics are like a top three seed and that means somebody fell, but I think that he really is primed for a big leap. I think Trey Young is going to carry over what he accomplished in the playoffs and really take over. Like Trey has shown a lot of development, a lot more maturity than he showed his first two seasons. I think there's real growth potential there. Um, I think the Pacers are a team that honestly I would circle and say like, look, everybody's going to forget about them. And then the first month of the season, they were really good last year. And everybody had a miserable season last year. And things should be less miserable this year. Carlisle's a huge upgrade just in terms of how disciplined and ready they'll be. I think the Pacers are a team that, like, if you told me the Pacers finished fourth in the Eastern Conference, I would not bat an eye. I would not be surprised. I do not think that this team is as bad as their record has been either of the past two seasons, honestly. I think they're better than the record indicates. Hey, you know, we always enter the year as an underdog. This year feels no different. We're just hoping we can stay healthy. If we can, yeah, I think we can make some noise. But as we wrap up here, uh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and some of the awesome content that you're putting out. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at HB Basketball. Uh, you should download the Action Network app. It's absolutely the best way if you want to track scores. The API on it is absolutely lightning fast. It's got all my content and information. Also great if you're better. So check it out, uh, Action Network app, wherever you get your apps on your mobile device. Awesome. Definitely appreciate you coming on, and I'm sure I will uh, we'll chat with you again as the season unfolds. Thanks, guys. Pachi, Matt Moore knows his stuff. I absolutely love talking with him. Really just kind of nice to hear somebody else talk about the Eastern Conference. Oh, no, it was great. He was very detailed, very knowledgeable. It was nice to be able to 
give a, a rundown through the East, but also I always love hearing the outside perspective about the Pacers because, you know, we can obviously be a bit biased given that, you know, how much we love the team, but hearing straight from him, he's high on the Pacers as well as, as long as they're healthy, of course. Well, I think sometimes we can be a little bit too harsh on our own guys too, because we see them for 82 games. We see their flaws more than most other people do because we're watching them on a regular basis. So I see both sides of it. We can be over the top, but we can also be, you know, over dramatic in a sense in terms of how we look at these players and maybe over criticize what they're doing. But I'm excited for this season. I'm thinking next week we might have a nice week on setting the pace. Not sure what's all going to happen, but there are some cool line, uh, guests lined up for maybe the next part of the month. So I'm excited for that. Fachi, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we sign off? No, just know that, hey, we're always working on some fun guests. Never want to overpromise, but, uh, you know, there, there's going to be some fun stuff coming up. But I would just say, hey, you know, this is a time period right now where, you know, you're, it's like a little bit in limbo. Training camp hasn't started just yet. So the next few weeks, I feel like, you know, everyone's going to get a bit fired up, and I'm really ready for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. I'm also really excited after talking with Matt to see what happens with the Raptors. This is a team that I have been keeping my eye on for a while. I, I mentioned in the last couple of years, Fred Van Vliet, that's a guy I would love on this Pacers team. I think he'd make a ton of sense. Not sure what the future is with Brogdon, but hey, if there's a way we can maybe get Fred Van Vliet on this roster, you know I would be all for that, Fachi. Oh, I very much do. Yeah, you've had your eyes on uh, Fred for quite some time, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see what it takes to, to pull that off. That might be more of a trade deadline deal, you know, if the Raptors we'll are sellers. But, hey, you never know. You never know. So, Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You could find us on Facebook at SettingThePace or just SettingThePace. And you could find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. Boom, did it again, Fachi. Two for two this week. You have got it down. I absolutely love it. So, Fachi, if you're excited to see Chris Duarte in an Indiana Pacers jersey in preseason, say these three words. Let's go Pacers. For 18 years, I've truly been blessed to be a Pacer and a Hoosier. When I think about the opportunity to win a championship. This is the best place to be. This is perfect. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.